Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, Pat and I are going to be talking about game modes, game design features, other game running ideas that we're sort of noodling around in our brains for the 2024 season. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to quickly talk about our latest video on our channel, Why You Suck at Airsoft. It's been reasonably popular on YouTube. Uh, I guess we were blessed by the algorithm gods, which is great. Um, and while that's cool, and we've gotten a lot of comments on it, which we really appreciate, some of the comments I think might have missed the point a bit, not in a bad way, but not really what the intent of the video was. And so I just want to talk about that briefly because some people said things like, well, if you're having fun, then you're playing airsoft correctly. Or if you're following the rules and playing honorably, then you're good. And while I absolutely agree with those sentiments 100% wholeheartedly, that doesn't necessarily mean that the individual person feels they're a good player, even if they're having fun and playing by the rules. And case in point would be myself. I mean, usually when I go out and play airsoft, I tend to have fun and I have for the last, you know, 17 years or whatever. Uh, and I always <laughs> play. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been doing it this long. If I, if I hate it, then I'm in the wrong hobby. But, you know, I always also try to play with honor to the best of my ability, call my own hits, you know, do the right thing, play with good sportsmanship, all this kind name, of stuff. Right? Like... Yeah, ex well, exactly. And that's great and i would not play any other way but that doesn't necessarily leave me feeling like i'm necessarily a good player just because i did those things right so some players might feel differently you know some people might just go out there and just vibe right like they're having fun playing plasto blasto and they feel like they're good just because of that which is awesome if that's the case for you great but i think for the vast majority of players and i think people in general in any sort of sport hobby whatever we tend to compare ourselves to our peers, number one, or in some cases, sort of the situation that we're in, like, did we feel like we rose to the occasion, right? And often, I think we feel like we wish we had done better. And that really was one of the core messages of this video, right? Define the things you feel might be holding you back or that you think make you suck in worst case. And really determine if that's a fair thing to feel about your own skills. And if it is, well, then come up with a plan to address it. And if it's not, then realize that actually you're probably better than you think you are. So I really wanted to address that because it's not just, you know, we didn't want anyone to feel like we're saying you suck at Airsoft because, of course, that's never our approach to this. But I want to make sure that, you know, people understood that what we're talking about here is that there isn't necessarily you know, a one particular way to be good at yourself, you have to sort of figure out what that means for you. And just playing by the rules or, you know, like all that stuff is really important, but that's not, not really the point, right? You really want to figure out what are those sort of metrics that tell you, hey, you know what? You're getting better at this. Hey, you feel like you're accomplishing something. So that was sort of the point of that. I just wanted like, to make it clear. It's probably worth noting here that, you know, <laughs> the folks who are replying uh, like that, aren't wrong at all. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I guess, in a lot of ways, they're not necessarily the target audience for the video. Uh, in the sense that if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, as long as you're doing this, as long as you're uh, playing honorably, you're good. As long as you're having fun, you're good. And we completely agree with that. Um, but I think our 
our video is more aimed at the people who uh, like ourselves are more inclined to sit there and be self-critical yeah <laughs> and for sure. sort of like ponder am i performing adequately mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? and i and i think you know the key message has to be that other people don't get to tell you what good means to you right and so in some cases Except you know, someone might come in and be what good means to me. <laughs> well, and like some people in the, in the comments are saying, well, well, if you are good at cardio, then that's a good base to be good at airsoft. And then maybe it is. If that's something that matters to that particular individual, some people might not care. Right. So that's really the message we want you to leave with is yes, you should play by the rules. Yes. You should play honorably. Of course, absolutely. And respect your other players, but, and that will make you a good like presence on the airsoft field, it will make you a positive presence with your teammates and stuff. But that, you know, when it comes to being good in terms of skill and aptitude, that's, you know, that's something you have to define for yourself. So just wanted to clear that up, but let's now move on to the main topic of today, which is really talking about game modes and design. So really, I mean, although I, I hesitate to be too excited about this, but we had a taste <laughs> of warmer weather this past weekend. Uh, oh we had God. a significant amount of snow melt. Um, it was as close to yeah. spring as you sort of get here. Oh, you can't say that ways. word right now, Pat. It's too oh. early. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. I've cursed us all. Well, all yeah, the last time my wife said anyway. that word, we got 80 centimeters of snow. So let's pump the brakes a little. Oh, okay. Well, we're doomed. Uh, so <laughs> uh, goodbye. This will be our last podcast. Uh, <laughs> if you survive the coming kill storm, do let me know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so yeah, you know, without uh, exaggeration and, um, you know, I'm not superstitious. I am a little stitious, but regardless, <laughs> I, um, you know, we got two days of like four degree weather. We got sunny weather. Uh, I went out for an out a run outside, which was awesome. Um, we got a significant amount of snow melt. And we, and we, we have a couple of days where you went days. outside and went, oh man, this is nice as opposed to. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I mean, my wife let the chickens out and we were just hanging out with them and it was great. Uh, and we have a couple of more days of warmer weather that are coming up uh, this week as well. So it's really gotten me in the mood to think about playing Airsoft again. Not to play again, because I'm not ready to play right now. It's still too much snow, but I, I'm ready to think about playing again, which is where sort of my mind yeah. Uh, my mind has. If, if we play uh, right now, I will become up. a turret. I will step out into the field. I will sink up to my shoulders in snow and just be like, well, I live here now. See well, you that's in good spring. for you. I would go all the way to the head. So I, there'd be nothing left, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think, you know, just all, all kidding aside, like I, it is getting to that point in the year where realistically, especially if you're like us and you're organizing games, you kind of have to start getting on the horse because March is basically around the corner. Uh, and our first season opener game at this particular point, it could change depending on the, the field and stuff, but we're looking at some time in May, right? Um, so hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, I mean, you know, if we have, if all this snow melts then we might be, and we don't get any more, we could be good. And if we get a huge snowfall in May, in March, it might be June, we'll see. But at this time we're thinking potentially May. And that means that we are starting to think about, uh, you know, what are the mechanics? What are the game modes that we want to run? We had a really um, good season last year, I think with the two games that we ran, introducing the community here to new ways of playing and new mechanics that they had never seen before. Um, but I'm not one to rest on my laurels, so to speak. And I know Pat isn't either. Like we don't just want to run the same two games, you know, every year. Like that's not, that's not a vibe. That's not what we want to do. And I think our community, frankly, deserves better than that, right? So we want to come up with new concepts. However, 
coming up with new concepts is hard. Well, <laughs> it's not. It can be. It can be not straightforward. And there's a lot out there. So I thought today we'd talk uh, through some of the sort of common mechanics and game design ideas that we keep hearing about uh, either on the internet, on, on Discord, and some things that we've heard from our own community. And then later on, we'll also talk about some larger concepts around game design um, and the two games that we ran last year and like the limitations we have to deal with on our own field in terms of space and stuff like that. And hopefully some of this will be applicable to you, the listener, in terms of Maybe you're trying to get your own game on the go. Some of the considerations that that you want to look at, and whether that makes sense for your for your venue or not. So the first one, the first thing I really want to talk about. This is a hotly hotly debated idea on the Discord, uh, generally as well, I would say, but mostly by Matt, uh, who feels extremely strongly against it, and, and but is is a common feature of um, games, you know, across certainly across North America, I think as well in Europe, I'm not an expert on it, but it has to do with sort of airsoft replica classes, right? So our airsoft replicas are based on, for the most part, real steel weapons um, that fill particular roles, uh, supposedly on the battlefield, I'm told. I've never been to one, so I don't know. Um, But as a consequence, um, that means that uh, the different uh, replicas that we have would fill traditional roles for a military or you know law enforcement or whatever and airsoft games want to include some mechanics that differentiate those because fundamentally like and i think this is the it's been the case here basically forever right like there is no difference really mechanically between your 249 your hpa your garand your scorpion evo which is soon to not be your scorpion evo <laughs> blissfully um <laughs> or even your sidearm like mechanically, they all do the same thing, yeah, except well, I mean, for the fact the sidearm doesn't shoot full auto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a function of you know the mechanics of every airsoft gun you and I own. Frankly, everyone on our team owns together are not distinct enough to, because of what they do, merit specific rules for classes of gun, mm-hmm. right, or classes of replica. So. Um, you know, if you're trying to build a bolt action rifle and you try, uh, are trying to make it into, you know, a really accurate, you know, sniper rifle platform for airsoft, then in order to get it to perform the way you need to, uh, you see people typically being allowed to run them at higher, um, muzzle velocities, likewise, uh, DMR setups, right? Um, so this is already, um, at a baseline, a common rule set for airsoft. Like we already have an idea of, okay, so we want the sniper rifle to be able to shoot from further away. So we're going to allow it to be above the FPS limits for the field. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, ditto for DMRs. So, uh, some places have lower max velocities for LMGs because people got tired of getting shot a whole lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the question is, uh, you know, for us is not like, what do you want to do in terms of setting your field regulations? I'm just starting with that as a baseline because yeah. uh, it works to build off of, right? So like, it's already an accepted idea that we can tinker <laughs> with these rules. Um, so the question is, do we want to tinker with them anymore for scenario play? Um, especially if people have access to um, either guns that are set up for CQB or 
that are set up for, um, you know, HPA so they can be modified in terms of their FPS very easily. Yeah. And, and I think as a side note to that, there is absolutely a, a, a case whereby if you put sort of limitations or you give certain features to certain types of replicas, people will also build a replica to do exactly that thing. Uh, the example that I think about very frequently is that like at certain games that I've heard of, um, uh, an AEG, like a typical like rifleman, AEG, HPA, whatever you want to call it, is semi-only, right? Up to 1.6 joules or something like that, muzzle velocity. Yep, that but makes sense to me. if you have a replica of a submachine gun, so like an MP5, an MP7, um, M45, I guess, Tommy gun, you name it, UZ, I guess, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> Things that fit It's that a pistol class. caliber... Like it's a pistol caliber submachine gun, essentially, right? Yeah. Which, um, in terms of like the the reality of the airsoft gun, right? To loop back to what we were just saying, doesn't matter, right? Yeah. It still shoots six millimeter plastic BBs. It's still using, uh, you know, the exact same uh, component set and mechanisms to drive it, whether it's electric or HPA. Yeah, but so it's a replica of a pistol caliber SMG, and as long as it's shooting under, I think one joule or one point two joules or something low like that then they can also shoot full auto, right? And they have no MED because it's the velocity is low enough that it, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. The muzzle so energy, I should so say, is low enough, right? Yeah, so we're so going, that's just an example, right? Yeah, so we're going, hey, we're, we've looked at this and gone. We want it to provide a um, a play experience that, close, that we feel or that players feel more closely mirrors what it's supposed to do in terms of like quote unquote, real life. Well, I think that's one thing, but I, I look at it from the other, the other angle, which is I don't really care about what it's supposed to do in real life because Airsoft is not real life. And we're not doing a Milsim like Milsim West or whatever, yeah, which is, I would call a hard Milsim. What I'm more, more curious about is mechanically for my game, right? What does doing this do to the gameplay, if anything? Okay. Right. Yeah, I can. And, I can definitely buy that question for sure. And, and I think because I think that's important because you know, like one of the big gripes on the Discord uh, that Matt has, and I keep bringing it up because he's very vocal about it, <coughs> is that you know, it at like American Milsim and a couple of Milsims in the states, they're introducing a DMR uh, class where they say in order for it to be a DMR, you have to have like an optic on it. Which okay, fine. Um, you, I think uh, it has, it can shoot like certain amount of jewels or whatever. Uh, it has to be semi-locked. Okay, fine. Um, I think it might have to have a bipod. I'm not really sure, but we'll park that one for now. But it has to be a 308 caliber or 762 by whatever it is. I'm not an expert, right? But it has okay. to be like a 762 mag, like a Stanag 762. Okay, so and for in example, doing that, what I'm running which has typically been used as sort of, or has periodically been used as a DMR, wouldn't work there because of that. Correct. And the argument from like Matt, who has experience with this kind of stuff in the real world is like, that's rubbish. We put, we would put an optic on a 5.56 or a 303, whatever you want to call it, uh, rifle. And that would be our DMR for my squad when we were trudging around the mountains of Afghanistan. And so it doesn't make sense that one of your realism limits is based on something that doesn't actually happen in reality or shouldn't happen in reality. So that part aside, yeah, right. I can, so it's, it's interesting. Cause I find like 
both the idea of, all right, so we're setting this aside and trying to make this into a game mechanic idea compelling. And I find Matt's argument compelling. <laughs> Definitely. And so again, for me, the question is, so let's suppose that we say, hey, Matt, sorry, you're wrong. We're going to do it the way we want to, which he's not necessarily wrong and we're not necessarily right or they're not necessarily right. It's not my argument. But the question again is, if we were to put this limitation in place, what does that do for our game? Yeah, what are we going to get out of it? Right. And so as I think about our community locally, if we were to do that, we've got basically no players who can field a DMR. I think Kosh has one. He's got that huge, uh, enormous Heckler and Coke. What is it? G twenty seven. Like the the, the, uh, the enormous, super elongated um, four seventeen or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like this absolutely gargantuan. Beautiful. I love it. Um, yeah, but that thing want, is. I don't want to carry it for a full day, but it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like he could, and <laughs> Shane. On our team has an M14 that he's used, like a SOCOM M14 yep. that uses 7.62 mags. Mark, <laughs> back in the day, had a 7.62 SR25, I think, replica, something yep. like that. The, the, and a, prior to that, a Scar Heavy. Um, and yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God, that thing was horrible. Anyway, beside the point. <laughs> um, um, but, like, the... Yeah, so I think a couple very, of guys have bolt limited. actions that would qualify, too. Although I guess they're not DMRs. So well, they wouldn't be DMR. Yeah, so they'd be the sniper or whatever. Just, yeah, right? they'd be in another, another category. Carry on as though I were normal. <laughs> so, so you put this rule in place and then you say, okay, well, who can, who can actually use it? Right? And so you eliminate all of our team because we're not going to be playing. We're going to be running the event. Who in the community right now is using that, that type of replica? I guess anyone and the same thing goes like for the SMG. It... <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very short number. Right. Like the list is small now. At the same time, people might say, well, oh, I've been looking for an excuse to go buy or whatever. <laughs> we do love sure. reasons to buy shiny toys. That is true. And by we, I mean Pat. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got those two classes, which I find are interesting. But when I think about the velocity limits for our field, most people are shooting well under anyway and don't have an MED. So whatever. Right. Most people are shooting full auto. Would it make sense then for us to put something in place that says nobody can shoot full auto, you have to shoot semi only, right? And only these people who are wielding either an SMG or an LMG, which we haven't really talked about, but we can come back to that in a second, uh, are allowed to shoot full auto. What would that do to our game? And like, and I think that's a really interesting question. I, was for us, say, for I think that one's really interesting just because, um, you know, one of our goals when we talk about, you know, hey, we want to do more scenario stuff. We want to have beginning scenario, end scenario. We want to tinker with ideas for scenario play. One of the key ideas that we tend to spitball is just how can we make people try something different? How can we provide people with a different experience as softer yeah. than what they get out of Saturday, <laughs> right? And yeah, I think that absolutely going, hey, you're not allowed to fire on auto is going to significantly adjust how people experience the game. Um, I think it probably uh, helps most people about equally as well. Like, I don't think it modifies the field badly in any direction inherently. So um, I guess at first look, it passes. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, you know, for people who are thinking about, oh, you know, like scenario design and stuff, a lot of things we take a crack at at first look pass. Uh, so ask yeah. me, you know, ask me again in a week when I thought about it some more is one thing. 
Um, but also, uh, as with a bunch of the stuff that we tried at the end of last season, this is a, a play-tested kind of question as well, is go to ideally a Saturday game and go, okay, so we're going to play uh, one of the wider, larger range games, you know, um, or even a couple of the smaller ones and just no full auto and see how people like it. And I think, though, one of the core questions that we have to ask before we even go and play test it, which, I mean, I think we should, but why would we want to do that? What do we think? And I have an idea, but I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll hear yours first. <laughs> what What do you think would happen in terms of gameplay? What do you think would happen uh, in terms of people, like community response, if we if we implemented a rule that only, you know, people which LMGs, HMGs or whatever were the only ones who could do full auto or SMGs too, if you had one, could do full auto. So for sure, I think like, okay, obviously it brings shot volumes down. Um, it also, I think decreases, I won't say it negates it, but it decreases the well enough BBs are flying that people are going to get hit principal to some extent. Um, so it forces people to move more towards a uh, sort of move and flank um, because you just will require more maneuver than you do otherwise in terms to become mm -hmm. effective, right? Uh, in terms you, of actually delivering BBs to the target you're aiming at, you will need to move around more. Um, How do you think the individual player experience is improved or, you know, detrimented perhaps by a rule like that? So that's going to vary by player, right? So like a player like Jeremy, I think actually will probably feel hindered by it. Right, players who really love, and we definitely have players who really love firing lots of BBs. Right, um, so like that crowd is going to have less fun. Maybe, um, certainly, they're going to have different fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, the folks who are used to being on full auto who don't mind the transition. I mean, like you know, we uh, typically for our CQB or closer quarter stuff have a restriction to semi, so everyone's used to shooting on semi in closer quarters. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it will probably push people to play and think more tactically most of the time. Um, it may have an interesting knock-on effect of also causing people to play more uh, as though they were playing CQB more often, which would be interesting. Like yeah, just while uh, they get out of that headset. <laughs> see, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and this is why I love sort of having a conversation about this kind of stuff because that's not really where my mind went. My mind went, again, to... I'm picturing myself like in cover and I'm like, oh my God, I really, you know, like we're trying to put fire down. We need to move or whatever. And I call, I'm like, hey, I need, I need someone, I need some support or whatever. And the guy rolls up and he's got like a 249 and it's you or it's somebody else with a RPK, right? And they start laying hate down and I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I needed right now. And I imagine that as a very, I mean, emergent gameplay, I think is the word we've used before. It's just a good experience. I think that would be a very positive experience. Yeah, now, that's, that's on the, the kind flip of, that's side. That's the kind of thing that people are going to take home with them and tell stories to their friends about, which is right? definitely something or, we look to do. On the flip side, you're like moving through the woods and then out of nowhere, just this hail of fire. And you're like, oh shit, dive into cover. And you can hear like all this full auto fire coming in. And you know that you've only got now. I mean, I'm shooting. I've only shot really semi for the last like 10 years or whatever. So but, you've, you've gotten over this part to some extent. <laughs> yeah. But for another person who's like, oh, my God, I only got one shot at a time. What the hell is going on? Right. <laughs> so I think that and that's a, not scary, but that's a negative 
sort of situation to be in. Like I would not envy that person. But at the same time, I think it's a cool story to be like, oh my God, we were just walking down oh, doing yeah. a patrol so, or whatever, and we got totally ambushed and schwacked by some guy with a, with a machine gun. Like, you definitely, that could be a cool experience too, you right? You definitely get to take that home with you in a fun way, for sure. Like, And then the final, the final, I think, is, you know, in terms of planning and strategizing, being like, hey, go take that objective. You're like, okay, but we need a machine gun, yeah. right? And it's like, that becomes a factor. It's like, how many machine guns do we have kicking around? Right? How many squad support weapons do we have? We've got uh, Buddy with his RPK. We got you know uh, Pat the Ent with the two four nine. So, but we have three things to attack. So, which one do we not send a machine gun? To? One, one of these right? things is not getting all the tools we want, um, and that creates an interesting function for uh, us designing gameplay stuff as well, because it means that we need to think about, oh hey, uh, how many LMGs are over there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, do we want to say, uh, because we can do stuff like this, uh, do we want to stack all the LMGs on one team? Does that create an effect that we're interested in? Does it have an effect that we're interested in? Maybe, yeah, maybe does not. It give, does it provide an experience yeah, that exactly. our players will be interested in? Yeah, is this going to make our right? players happy or just make them cheesed off with us? <laughs> yeah. And this, this ties in neatly to another game mechanic that the community has asked about, we've heard a lot about, is like the idea of a juggernaut. Right, someone on the field who cannot be killed by BPs, or even if they can, like it requires a, a, a very large amount or something like that. Now, I know I get Galactic Civil War; they have like those fancy plates that like register the hits and count the HP and stuff. I'm not going to get our Juggernaut while under fire to be like, was that 24 hits or 25? Like, obviously, that's not yeah. that's not a thing. <laughs> It'd be great to have some of those, but I suspect they're outside of our current budget. <laughs> Well, yeah. And again, thinking about this, it's like, okay, so players have said like, oh yeah, it'd be cool if we had a juggernaut, right? It'd be cool if we had a player who could walk around the field and just be able to just destroy people with an LMG and not take any hits or whatever. Who would that be cool for exactly? Yeah. Are those people thinking right? of this as a, I get to be the juggernaut or are they thinking of it as a, well, I'm going to have to deal with the juggernaut. Yeah, or I, I get to have a juggernaut on my side. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't think any of those players are really thinking about what happens if the other team has them, or what if I'm not on the team with the juggernaut, right? Like, um, like to give credit where credit is due, I think people are quite capable of finding it interesting to be on the other team and try to solve that problem and finding that to be a cool gameplay experience. But you're definitely right. I feel like most people who are like, oh, yeah, we should put a juggernaut in are thinking that they will get to have or be the juggernaut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so one of the things we've talked about is the idea of how how do you implement the juggernaut or how do you implement a juggernaut mechanic in a way that is um, meaningful to the game. So basically, in my thinking, once team just doesn't start with the juggernaut because that makes for a very hard morning, right? Yeah, we would um, prefer not to give anyone quite the advantage that that appears to generate out the gate. <laughs> and then the other piece is when the juggernaut comes online, however that happens, the other team has an anti-juggernaut device of some sort, whatever that looks like. Uh, again, thinking about Galactic Civil War, like you could get those, um, I forget what they call like ion cannon or ion modules for your, for your blaster. Um, and that's just a laser emitter, which means that if you're a bolt action sniper with this ion blaster or whatever, you can legit hit that player from like 200 meters away. Because it's a laser and you just shoot it at them, right? Like it Pew. just goes straight, 
instant hit and it kills him right away. So then the juggernaut is in this weird position where no one can hurt him on the field except this very specific person, right? Or people with the, with these modules. But that very specific or those very specific people can hurt him from way further away than he's used to. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So how then do you incorporate that into, into the gameplay? So I had, you know, as I think we've talked about this before, but this idea of like getting both teams to try and build the juggernaut, right? And one team completes the work first on the field, right? Through having to find stuff on the field and assemble sort of like the formula or whatever. And protecting, then boom. protecting their mad scientist, etc. Yeah, exactly. And then when the other team gets it, they get assigned. So for our purposes, we were thinking about using the the eye combat system that they have at the indoor field, where it's just a laser. Again, it's the it's a laser replica, essentially, that shoots. It's like the, very similar for those of you who are listening to the old uh, Miles laser engagement system that they use in the States uh, for training yeah, a very long time ago. Um, yeah, a little more civilian grade, but... The same well, premise. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and but it has a shock belt, so the person wearing it gets zapped, um, and you can turn that up quite high. That wouldn't be the intent, but just high enough that they would be like, "Oh, I, I got hit. Okay, now I'm, you know, I'm disabled or what have you." Um, you can so, turn it, you, it. It goes from vibrate to ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like severe ouch. But regardless, that's that's some of the things stuff that we were thinking about. But again, like, how do you incorporate that into a game, and what does what does it do, right? Like, what kind of experience does it create? Because I think the challenge with a lot of these fun experiences, and we've talked about this when it comes to game design as well, is that just because you add complexity doesn't necessarily mean that you add positive gameplay, right? So, like, the first time you come across a juggernaut and they're hosing you with BBs and there's nothing you can do, you're like, oh, goddamn, I got to get out of here. I got to take cover. I got to, we got to figure it out. After it's been an hour... Probably not so much fun. Totally. Right? But like, it's one of those things where we need to make sure ultimately that the juggernaut is, you know, moving around probably slower than everyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. And like part of that is we're going to pile gear on them probably. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, in a practical sense, it's like, okay, so what do we do with this to create benefit or to create a positive experience for the people playing? Right. Um, you know, so yeah, if the juggernaut's just like wandering around stomping on people all day, the player playing the juggernaut will probably be having fun. Um, and we do want them to have some fun because that's the point. But definitely agree. Yeah. But we also want them to, you know, be manageable. <laughs> um, and I think if we design things carefully, we can prevent it from being a situation where the only management is being where the juggernaut isn't. Um, yeah. You know, but also, uh, you know, if we're going to have a juggernaut um, and we're going to do something where, you know, one of the teams has to, quote unquote, bring the juggernaut online, right? Complete the juggernaut project. Great. You have a juggernaut. Um, there need to be things that are like, oh, the juggernaut is active for amounts of time, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, before we give out a thing that allows the other team to take that advantage away easily, we should be letting the team that has done the work get some benefit out of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So we need to both make sure there's a solution and make sure the solution is not too easy to acquire. (laughs) Totally. And and that, and that I think is going to be the delicate balance of how, how do we make it so that it's, it's definitely an advantage. Like it can't be a disadvantage. You work for it. You got it now. 
but also the other team can still come back from from that like it can't just be oh you got it all right well now you get wrecked like that's yeah no, that's we, the end we of want that. both teams to still be in the game and on the field after we yeah. deploy the juggernaut because otherwise what are we even doing right yeah and i think one of the big challenges that that i had especially looking back to like operation spore cloud is that just because you give the teams the countermeasures or the opportunities doesn't necessarily mean they take them right and if they, you really have to make sure that they understand the necessity to take it. Like you can, you can actively decline it, but if you don't do anything with it at all, just because you're not thinking about it, like you're leaving a lot on the table that was put there specifically to potentially give you an advantage. Yeah, right? I, I, think, I think about like the satchel char- charges at Spore Cloud. They never got used. They never got used. And right? I, th- and I think that is like somewhat on the folks playing definitely in that like hey um why aren't you doing the thing uh but i also think very genuinely that some of that's on us in a okay so um going forward we need to figure out how to make that clearer Mm -hmm. yeah um and to some extent you know uh again thinking you know um because i tend to thinking in terms of, you know, games of toy soldiers, um, part of that may be as simple as like, uh, writing up a props and what props do list page pamphlet, whatever, and making it available as part of the player briefing materials. And especially, uh, cause I know, um, not everyone bothers to show up for the briefings or reads any of the stuff we give them. And like, you know, a little bit of shade for that, you know, you're, you're paying to come do this, read the stuff, but like, um, I accept because just it's reality that not everyone is going to read it. So make sure that like we have that to give to the team leaders so that the team leaders can be like, oh, hey, if you see a dude wandering around with a box that says explosives on it, ask him for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and that I, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think the challenge that we are in in our community and maybe someone if you're listening like this might be the same thing in your community. The maturity level, the development level is not there yet. Right. So your players aren't accustomed to thinking the people who go to AMS Iron Horse, for example, like you're paid $200 US for a ticket, like it's a national level event. The people who show up to those events, I'm sure the vast majority of them understand what they're getting into. I'm sure there's a couple of people who show up who are like, blah, 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 and they're just like a complete soup sandwich. Fair enough. The vast majority know what they're showing up for. I don't necessarily know that, you know, the people who sign up for these games at Frontline. Uh, surely if they've been to the two ones last year, now they have a sense of what the third one is going to be like. Yeah, we but definitely if this is your a first season. frame of reference. But like, yeah. you know, I mean, and one of the things that's uh, that's a reality for us for these, you know, and this isn't deeply problematic even really. It's just a thing we need to be aware of uh, is, you know, we're going to have renters. We're going to have, you know, uh, last time, like one of the folks on, on the uh, sort of smaller air quotes, more elite team, um, you know, was a kid who'd never played before who showed up with his brother and was like, I want to play on my brother's team. And we were like, all right, can do, um, yeah. you know, and that went fine. But also, you know, we need to try to make sure when we're designing stuff that that will go fine because it's going to keep yeah. happening, right? Like people showing up with rentals, um, you know, just being like, hey, I'm here to play. Never played before. Heard there was a season opener, you know, um, Frontline has been advertising them, which is awesome, you know, 
is going to be a reality. So we need to make it show, so that this is fun for all skill levels. If you yeah. don't have that problem because you're you've got a you know a, a very stable larger play group or whatever, great. That's super cool. It's just not our reality. And I think it, this ties back to what we we're talking about when we're talking about like the replica classes. If you think about a renter showing up and renting an M4 or whatever, um, it's easy for us to tell them, hey, so just so you know, for this game, you can't use full auto. You have to stick on semi-auto. That might be a bummer for them as, as a beginner. But at the same time, that's way more manageable than trying to enforce like an ammo cap right or to say oh you can only have six mags it's like well i've got a high cap okay well you can only have 200 bbs in there or whatever like that is not a positive experience for a beginner who wants to shoot as much as possible easier to say listen just shoot on semi although i'm not sure if the frontline replicas would handle shooting semi all day long but that's a different i mean <laughs> i i think they will um once you know <laughs> um you know, I mean, I feel like ultimately our our season opening all day games are going to be high on wear and tear on the rental gear anyway, simply because they involve like a harder day's work than two or three hours. That's um, true. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, you bring up a solid point there in terms of like, okay, so how can we apply rules to our field? Yeah. Can we, can we go? Okay. You can only have six mags. Well, I've only got two. Okay. You know, um, I normally carry 37. All right. We'll take some off your vest. <laughs> um, you know, but we've also got that situation of like, okay, so a bunch of people who play here, you know, do have guns tuned for the indoor, um, you know, if we're going to treat those as quote unquote, or can we treat those as quote unquote SMGs? And I mean, a bunch of them are still M4s, but like realistically at this point, you know, like, uh, when we're chronoing it, we wrap blue tape around the stock. All right, this is air quotes and SMG. You're allowed to use full auto. Right. So, hey, you have a choice. You can bring your indoor velocity gun with your indoor ammo and, mm -hmm. and deal with the, the negative repercussions of having a lower muzzle velocity and a lighter BB. And you can shoot on full auto as much as you want is a thing we might want to think about implementing just because it gives yeah, a bunch of players who have uh, a bunch of pieces of kit ways to implement that kit that aren't normally an option for uh, scenario play. And that frankly, like, you know, if you have a gun that has an uh, indoor muzzle velocity and it's, you know, uh, it's running as an AEG, then you're probably not going to think too highly about bringing it out and running, you know, like 0.2 gram BBs uh, in it. But if you have that and, hey, you're allowed to use the fun button, okay, now it might actually be a thing you think about. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really like that idea of, like, modifying the rules so that you... Yes, aesthetically, it would be great to be able to say only people with um, a pistol caliber SMG can count as an SMG. But you're right. Like, if they meet the velocity limits, right? Um, I mean, like, don't tempt, maybe, me, with, maybe don't tempt them... me with a good time, by which I mean going and buying an MP5K. <laughs> like, well, you have a Scorpion right in your... Like, you wouldn't even need to do anything, I, right? I, but regardless... That, that is only true at time of recording until before time of posting of this video. <laughs> it is yeah. sold. So... Um, you know, but at the but same time, the, yeah. one one of the things that I would <laughs> I would take a hard stance on, though, on the flip side, is uh, the LMG stuff, right? It's like, hey, so if you want to be an LMG, you can't just take an M4 and slap a drum mag on it, or you can't just take an AK and slap a, a drum mag on it. Like, it has to be an a, an LMG that looks like an LMG from a like what you see is what you get standpoint, like uh, the old ta tabletop rules, right? Yep. Because if someone sees you with an LMG hosing. They should know, oh, that's an LMG. Or similarly, like if you have 
a replica that has blue tape wrapped around the barrel, and you're like, okay, that's an SMG, that's fine. They have to visually be able to identify that what that other player is doing, uh, because it's a completely different mechanic, is is okay. For sure. And like, you know, um, in practice, the number of... in and this is just a, a, a local thing. The number of people we have who have strapped box mags to M4s is very low. So like mm -hmm. you're not causing, or I don't think we're causing any real problems there, um, which is probably to the good. Yeah. And the people who have box mags for their AEGs or whatever, they also have regular mags. So yeah, totally. just That's, use those instead. Yeah. The, the folks here who, who have those are definitely yeah. going to be like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's not going to pose an issue for us in terms of, um, you know, upsetting players or like having player retention problems. And that's a thing to think about, you know, it Absolutely. is worth your while to look at stuff that you're thinking about doing and going, okay, so how is our player base going to feel about this particular crazy idea? Right. Totally. And, and to, well, I mean, consulting with them is really good. And I think, you know, not everyone is potentially going to agree. I think you look at what AMS is doing with their marksman or their DMR roles. And Matt is like vehemently opposed to it, right? He's like, this is stupid. I don't think this is accurate. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And fundamentally, like the the answer is, well, maybe this is not your event, right? Maybe this is not an event for you, which is fine in a context where there are hundreds of events that they can attend. But for us, especially in our community, and maybe for some of our listeners who are in smaller communities, like there's people in our community who live in Alaska, right? And they have a very small community there. We have people who live, you know, in, in all different places where the community might not be as big and your pool of available games might not be as large. Well, then you want to make sure that you're, yeah, coming up with rules that are as accessible to everyone as possible, which is why we realistically are never going to have a magazine slash ammo cap. Yep, and it's right because it's not it's not it's not accessible for the majority of our players. The ammo cap certainly, but it's no fun. And so I think that ties into the other piece. Yeah, of, I mean, the ammo cap is problematic to enforce as well when you're well, looking yeah, at like that, yeah. you know, okay, so you can have high caps, but you're only allowed to carry two hundred rounds. Are we actually going to expect people to like count out 200 rounds? Are we going to go, oh, this speed loader has numbers on it that sort of work, you know? We would have to give them the ammo. We would have to be like, we've counted, yeah. this, is, this yeah. is your ammo, like, here are, you go. Are we going to count out 50 players worth of little baggies with 200 BBs in them? Um, yeah. The answer, in case you're wondering, is no, we are not. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I am and, like, crazy, but there's an upper limit. And all this kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> But so I think, so I think you need to think about, like you were saying, like making them accessible, but also very much coming back to the idea of what does this limitation do for my game? What does it change about the mechanics of the field that we play on? What does it change about the way that people are going to utilize the field? Because those are really important considerations. Totally. And like one of the questions I think need that we sort of addressed earlier, but that relates to what we're talking about is, so we said earlier, or you said earlier that um, you know, being stuck on semi or like having your gun only on semi for the game will make the uh, experience of having someone with an LMG coming by being, you know, a lot more intimidating or helpful. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it also levers the bolt action rifle players up in power level because um, even a moderately optimized bolt action is more accurate than a semi uh, auto AEG typically. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a better ability to put, you know, uh, single shots on target with greater accuracy, which means you are less concerned than you would be when people would be shooting at you full auto. 
Yeah, that, and that's that's totally true. I think though you raise a good, uh, an interesting point. I should say when talking about bolt actions, because one of the other things is really like, does our field actually support them, right? And I think at frontline, there are places where a bolt action can can be used. Yeah, absolutely. Right, but in in many cases, like the field is is very small in other places, and so using a bolt action may not be as feasible, especially if you have a minimum engagement distance, right? So like we do, if your bolt action is shooting above, I think it's like two two joules or something like that is the limit or 2.2 joules or something pretty high. Um, but you have a 50 foot minimum minimum engagement distance, right? So 50 feet is like what? Like 15 meters or something like that, right? Just 16 meters maybe. That's quite long, right? So if you are in the village, for example, you can't shoot at anybody else in the village, Right, full stop. The field is too small for that. So you're only ever going to be shooting like outside, right, or perhaps inside from outside, something like that. So this brings back or loops me around to one of the things that I think is fun about this is that you have stuff like, um, you know, Steph and uh, Josh both have um, replicas that are bolt action that are accurized, etc., and SMGs. Yeah. Right. So you can kit yourself out that way. So yeah, yeah, it gives you the option to go, okay, well, I can cover that. Um, this should be interesting. You know, from a gameplay point of view, it also leaves me to like, okay, so maybe we should say that you can't carry a bolt action and a standard AEG that's semi, mm -hmm. um, because that gives you no disadvantage for carrying <laughs> the bolt action. Um, whereas the SMG plus bolt action gives you a lot to think about albeit also some bonuses, like some, some benefits. Yeah. Or maybe we say, you know, uh, your your team can have a maximum of two snipers. And the snipers are the only ones, because that's how they do it at like, uh, you know, AMS or whatever. Like you have slots on your team. You have like heavy machine gun, medium machine gun, light machine gun, whatever, whatever, right? And so maybe we say, well, your team can have up to two snipers and whoever that is, like they need to figure it out. Um, and say maybe same thing for machine guns. Like each squad can have two machine guns or, or whatever. And I'm not sure, I'm not all about putting limitations in place, but I think you're right. Like we need to think through, uh, and you, the listener, if you're thinking about implementing some of these things in game, you like you need to think about again. If I put this in place, what does it do to my game? And what would stop a cheeky player from saying I'm going to carry a bolt action on my back and then uh, a primary AG, right, or a DMR and a primary submachine gun? right like is that really the the intent like is that really what you want and if you do then great or if you don't care then that's yeah, fine do, do we need but, to think about preventing um and i'm just going to pick on josh because anyway actually has all of these uh an lmg a bolt action and a standard AEG replica uh all on the one person right mm -hmm. um and like i think probably you can't gronk all of that around and be effective <laughs> uh but like we have at least one person in our community who owns it <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure more oh, that we just I you totally know that just, yeah we're not aware he, uh, of he yeah came to mind right. <laughs> um. So those are some of the mechanics that we're mulling around. Uh, that you know we haven't sort of landed significantly on in any particular ones, but uh, if you're in our community and you're listening, like those are things you should be expecting to see potentially uh, at some point throughout this year. The other challenge that we have is how do we set up the game field because. Last year, we did a standard, just call it force on force, like two equal side teams, uh, basically fighting around the village, but they had to deal with the villagers who were present. Uh, 
And then in the second game, we had a large force uh, fighting a more quote unquote elite, although it wasn't necessarily more experienced. Some experienced players on both sides. I think the function was a but more the, mobile force, really. More mobile with different mechanics, right? So they had medics and they had the ability to go outside the field bounds and do all this kind of stuff, which we had never done before. Uh, in I'm working on the recap video. I haven't forgotten about it. It's it's on my it's on my plate. Um, but it, it certainly I think provided sort of a different experience. But I don't think it's something we can do all the time, right? So definitely, and I mean, it's not necessarily even like, something we want to do every time we run a scenario game. Yeah, exactly right. So then the question becomes: How do we best utilize sort of the layout of the field that we have, and how do we also shape it so that you know, if you play the same field over and over, like I'm sure many of you do, unless the field changes in some way, you know where to go. You know where the good spots are. People who play at Frontline know that if you get in the village, you can basically hold that all day. Yep. Right? At least we can. I, I know that for a fact. If you put us in the village, we will hold it all day for you. All day long. Let's go. Yep. Not right? a problem. Especially if we have, like, medics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just we will carry on. Right? So the, the question becomes, like, how do we how do we deal with that? And how, how, how do we think we're going to deal with that in the year to come? Because it's going to be a challenge. We, we don't want it to be two teams that start at either end. And sort of just meet in the middle and fight over the village for six hours. Right? That's not, that's not going to be fun. Yep. And I mean, um, one thing we've never tried that might be worth a look uh, is trying to use the. Uh, so we we typically have used the short ends of the field as the spawns. Mm -hmm. Using the longer ones might work, um, or points on the long end edges rather than the short ones. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to change the amount of walking and intensify the amount of like energy and effort required to keep going because you'll be closer together from the get-go kind of thing. Um, and it doesn't yep. solve the village other than uh, it's a lot easier to uh, attack the village from the long edges laterally than it is to attack the village from the short ones. Mm -hmm. um, you know, another thing that we've never tried that I think might work well is um, having timers on being in the village, right? Um, so, you know, the village is poisonous. You can only go in there for two minutes at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, um, just, you know, and like, <laughs> uh, we can we can do things to make the, the village unappealing in addition to that and just sort of the sense of like, okay, so, it, you know, it's poisoned. You can only go into it for two minutes time. Also, Cal's going to follow you around yelling while you're in it. Yeah. Right? Not like at you, not in a negativity kind of way, just in a like, there's going to be a loud noise making you uncomfortable while you're in here. <laughs> um, or, you know, we could say like buildings are booby trapped. So you go into the wrong building and it blows up. And now you are, you know, your KIA have to go back to your, to your respawn. Uh, and that building is now destroyed. You can't use it. Yep. Right. Um, I'm like, you know, again, in terms of my, you know, don't tempt me with a good time. Well, like, oh, hey, we want to, we want like bomb props and stuff like that. And yeah, so let's figure that out. Um, bring me one of the people who knows how to do wiring <laughs> mm -hmm. better than me. <laughs> Chris, if you're watching this, I see you. <laughs> yeah. So that I, I like the idea of like going through the long sides. And I think it's important for, for people who, again, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about your own game design, like looking at the field in a way that you haven't looked at it before. We've played games at Frontline where we've played sort of, you know, long side to long side. And it 
it's challenging because the cover is not oriented that way, right? So you're attacking perpendicular to the cover, which means typically your cover is not going to be great because you won't have anything in front of you that's why. Oh man, this right? is just going worse than usual. What's yeah. going on? Um, you know, and I mean, also if we're going to do that, a thing that might be worth examining is like, you know, how much can we tinker with the layout of the field? Um, you know, I'm like, I know the answer is going to be a limited amount because we have a limited number of man hours and budget, but yeah. like, if the answer is still some cool. <laughs> yeah. Being able, I think that would be a really great thing to be able to change certain things on the field before players show up. So they don't even know it's like, Oh my God, that's, that's not supposed to be there. Right. Or, you know, and we had that sort of with the village when we sort of taped it up, boarded up windows and stuff. And they're like, oh, my God, wait, what? Like, that's not yeah, how it's I'm, supposed I'm to be. I'm used to being able to shoot all the way through this. Yeah. And now I can't. Um... Many years ago, actually, we did a scenario where the village was like, quote unquote, irradiated. And they had to go into the village to find certain things. But they were given like Tyvek suits that stood in for. Um, hazmat uh, gear. What do you call it? Like hazmat gear. Exactly. And so if you got shot, you were dead. Like there was no like medic. You're just, you know, hit in a dirty environment. You're dead. That's it. Turns out that you don't want to get shot in your chem suit. <laughs> yeah. And so like each team had, a, had two of them total. Uh, and so they had to basically send people in to try and look for stuff. Um, and that meant that like the team tried to have control of the area, but also not get too close uh, because there's, you know, the exclusion zone around the village or whatever. And, and that is a thing that if we were going to try again, um, I'm entirely spitballing here, but like if we're looking at sort of having, you know, build a juggernaut kind of stuff, that gives us a logical place to store some of the build a juggernaut stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly right. So there, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be considered. And again, you know, the other thing that we haven't really talked about, but is this idea of like small teams versus larger team or multiple teams, right? I know that at like AMS events, like they have the two main teams, 10 uh, and like cost and UFS but they also have a, a variety of other teams like Sierra Dynamic and La Losa and maybe something else. And so anyways, like that gives other opportunities. Like why don't we have a game where we have three teams instead of one team or excuse me, two teams, right? And how would that change? You know, if we had one team start at, at Blackhawk and one team start like at the Crow's Nest and then the other team starts at the D-Day bunkers, how, how does that, how is that going to work? Right. So there's a lot when it comes to the game design and it comes back to, I think, this this whole theme that we're talking about, which is like, if you were to do that, what does it do to your game? What does it do to your, um, you know, to the overall vibe, to the overall player experience, right? Um, Definitely. And I think it's it's worth considering, right? And maybe the answer that you come up with is, well, that's not for us. And maybe the answer we come up with is, yeah, you know what? Maybe this is not going to be the, the way that we... Yeah, I mean the way that we go, we, uh, right? We definitely don't implement every idea we talk about. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean that's the reality of trying to figure out what to do for for games for folks, right? And I think it's important to be realistic about what is actually achievable on your field. I mean, for years I had, you know, the this idea of like, oh yeah, we'll get a helicopter. For what? Like it would be cool, don't get me wrong. But like our field is the size of a poster stamps. I I don't think we can even land a helicopter on our field if we wanted to, despite the crashed uh, Apache gunship that's uh, down on the field, right? It's just not, or it's a Comanche, I guess. 
Uh, like that's not a thing, right? It's it's just yeah. I think it's not realistic for our community to do something like that. Just like it's not realistic for us to put in magazine caps or ammo caps and expect people to have a good time, hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, I think the like idea of using a helicopter drop was more effective when we were on Redcliffe. But even there, I'm not sure. Like there, it would be effective in terms of mobility, but I'm still not sure it would be feasible in terms of actually doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not like any... I don't know where they would be even able to land, yeah, to be exactly, honest with right? you. Like, like, <laughs> um, it's one of these things where, you know, the helicopter pilot may well get there and be like, you what? <laughs> no. Yeah, th- you know we're in a flight path, right? Like, no, yeah, <laughs> we're not doing I'm, this. I'm not going over there. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I think for a lot of these, for a lot of these conversations, like these are the kinds of things that, we're, that I'm sort of noodling around and we're going to keep having conversations about because I think that's how by having these conversations and working it through, it's that's how, you know, we came up with concepts that I think were pretty effective last year. Like we think about yeah, definitely uh, small team versus big team and like the creation of the samples and the, the scientists blowing up the lab which people will get to see in the, in the upcoming video. And it gives us an excuse um, to, you know, get together and grab a coffee and have a chat, right? Yeah, exactly um, right. Just is, like we're doing yeah, now. Exactly, which is, you know, an added bonus. <laughs> mm. right? um, so hopefully you found this rambling conversation sort of helpful. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it gives you some things to consider about your own field. Um, it's, um, it's definitely one of the things that I'm finding is more and more fun. Um, as I continue playing Airsoft, like it's a different way to experience Airsoft through the lens of how other people get to experience it rather than just what am I doing? Yeah, how can, uh, not to say that I haven't done everything I want to do, but like, I think it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, I mean, visibly it also accomplished last year, one of our main goals, which was it encouraged people to think about how to do this differently and therefore fidget around with what they wanted to do. Yeah. So hopefully you can take something from this and implement some changes in your own community, especially if you're currently playing Airsoft and not snowed under like we are. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, if you know if you have some comments or thoughts or ideas, you can certainly leave them in the comments or join the Discord and let us know. Join the conversation there. You know, we'd love to be able to engage with you on that. But until then, that's all we got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. And you know, if you do go try this stuff, please, uh, you know, let us know how it goes for you. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, also, we'll see if Phil uses any of the uh, rambling from the bit of B-roll that I left. <laughs> yeah. All right, take care, everyone. Cheers, guys. Have a good week. So, while we're alone, do uh, you guys have any questions just for Pat? Is there anything that I can do that will provide additional interesting content for you guys? Like I said, I don't know that Phil's going to actually have this in the video, but... I'm uh, alone and bored, so I'm talking. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm i wondering if you guys would be interested in, like, giving me a, uh, you know, a challenge, a piece of kit I have to have to try to, like, pick up and use for a couple of games this season or something. Preferably not, like, you know, a gun that's $800. <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, I'm open to cool ideas. Um I'm in a, I have a bunch of specific things I need to do to get myself set up for the season that we've already talked about in previous episodes kind of place. But if you're interested in, you know, uh, in suggesting stuff or in uh, posing like, Hey, you should try this and, uh, see how it goes and or suffer. Um, you know, I am silly enough to, uh, to take that option. Welcome back. The, uh, the, the, 
content theory has left you me rambling. Uh, so you have at least a couple of things in that dead space to look at to see whether or not you want to keep them. <laughs> okay.